for all you people that want to mail Mr. Webker a thank you letter. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. All right, I think we're good to go. Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. It's a podcast where I interview people who on the surface may appear to be quite ordinary, but underneath the surface, they have amazing things going on. Mike Concilio on personal finance. Mike Concilio was voted Teacher of the Year by his peers at St. James Academy. In a previous conversation, this beloved business director and I discussed his advice on choosing and switching careers. In a second conversation, we discussed his adventures in real estate, as he has fixed, bought, and sold, and managed six and more houses. In our third conversation, we discussed entrepreneurship. Well, today we're going to discuss all things personal finance. Hey, Mike. Hey, Tim. I have so many questions to ask you about how to live, how to plan, what to do in specific situations, but before I ask you any of that, I just want to ask... What do you, when do you wish you would have started learning about personal finance in life? Definitely in middle school, high school. We really didn't cover it in uh, at the high school that I went to. It wasn't really, we had one economics class. We just didn't have a lot, a lot of the electives like entrepreneurship, personal finance, introduction to business. We didn't have a lot of those courses. Um, and I think that's kind of a major disservice to a large portion of um, people who, have jobs and pay taxes and manage money and have families and have people that depend upon money to survive and they might even be employers. So I think, um, yeah, I think that would have been a really good, I think the schools are doing a lot better job of realizing that there was this huge gap in the educational curriculum. I mean, you teach personal finance, so obviously you believe that too. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's getting better and better. I agree with you. Um, I, I just can't tell you the number of parents who have come up to me in just a wide variety of settings, you know, um, at the atrium in church or, I don't know, next to the soda machine in Quick Trip and just said, oh, man, I wish I would have had that class, <laughs> you know, or people saying, I bet that's the most valuable course at the school. And, you know, I, I don't know about that by any stretch, but I, I do think you're absolutely right. I just 100% of the population, I think, needs a good personal finance class of some kind. 100%. Very much believe that. Um, okay, well, before we get into specifics like what to do with houses, cars, and insurance, and things like that, do you have an overarching belief system of any kind with personal finance? I guess I mean rules, principles... A philosophy. I don't. I don't know if I necessarily. Ha- I definitely don't have like Dave Ramsey's Seven Baby Steps. I. I don't have that. I, I've read that book. Love that book. I think it's an awesome jumping off point. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, number one, y- you have to make more than you spend. I mean, you can't be spending more money than you're making. That's going to be just really, really bad. So if you make more money than you spend, or if you don't, this is what I always tell business class, if you're not making more money, then you need to do one of two things. You have to fix the budget. You have to either go out and figure out a way to make more money. I'm a huge advocate of that. Or you need to spend less. A lot of times it's easier to spend less money than it is to go out and make more money because a lot of times you have to trade your time for dollars. And if you already have a full-time job to try to go out and get 
another source of income, um, that's going to take up more of your time. So you might not have that time in your life. So maybe cutting expenses is going to be the easier thing to do. But you have to live within your means. Um, and that just means that you make more than you spend, even if it's by a dollar. Um, the main thing that a lot of people don't understand is I don't think most people know if they make more money than they spend because they don't track it in any way. So I'm a huge believer in budgeting, having a purpose for every single dollar that goes into your bank account or out of your bank account. Oh, 100%. I just feel like that's the number one thing that, that if kids uh, pick up, I don't know, say 15 things from the class, that's probably the number one thing that you do a budget with your money. There's just that old saying that the minute you make a cut, that's like giving yourself a raise. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's a good thing. So if I can cut $100 out of my budget, that's maybe an extra $100 I didn't have to earn. And Absolutely. then it's peace of mind on top of it. You know, when I sleep at night, oh, I still have that $100 versus where am I going to get that $5? Right. You know, I'm $5 short or whatever I'm short. Because it always comes up. Like, no, every every month that I'm budgeting, it's not like any month is just clean. I have this miscellaneous category that's like 250 bucks, And every month, that miscellaneous category goes over. Whether you get a flat tire, you get a speeding ticket, this happens, that happens, something else comes up. There's a doctor's visit, two doctor's visits, whatever it is. I mean, it just... it. Life happens. Life and, happens. And we got to be ready for those things. So, yeah. Now, you mentioned one of your principles was income needs to be larger than expenses. Does that need to happen, what, nine months out of 12, 10 months out of 12, 12 months out of 12? Or am I trying to pin you down too much? Yeah, I, I think that really... That really depends. Because, I mean, if you go $10,000 over one month, but you you did a good budget 11 out of 12, you're going to set yourself up for some really bad um, credit card debt, most likely. But if you're over $100 or $200, I mean, you could, technically, you could lose 11 months and only be down, I don't know, 100 bucks, 1100 bucks, and then the last month, you're positive $2,000. So, I, and it's really just kind of a ground rule to have something to shoot for. And when I, th when I throw that number out there, I always put in, like... I want all of the money that I'm going to invest. I want all my spending money. I want all my vacation money. Um, I We budget, my wife and I budget for a vacation um, 12 months out of the year. So mm. if we're going on a, a vacation that's going to cost 2400 bucks, then we set aside $200 out of our budget starting 12 months ahead so that when it comes there, we have that $2,400 to write that check or to put it on the card or whatever. So we start budgeting and we account for everything, future expenses, current expenses, um, and, and that's just, that's kind of how we do it because if not, you have to pay interest and then things cost more. Right. Yeah. You bought something on sale, but then you pay interest. It was 10% off when you bought it. And by the time you're done, you pay an extra 30% in interest. I mean, how did you like the sale? <laughs> it didn't, didn't work out for you very well. Okay. <laughs> so I, I guess, uh, let's get the big elephant out of the room and that's Dave Ramsey. Yeah. Uh, Dave Ramsey's got those seven baby steps. Uh, you know, like the first one is save a thousand dollars in an emergency fund in case you get a flat tire. Then there's uh, pay off all of your debts from smallest to largest, ignore interest rates, look at dollar signs to give yourself psychologically some quick wins. Like, oh, I paid off mom, I owed her 10 bucks. Oh, I paid off Discover, I owed them 100 bucks. Mm -hmm. Oh, then I paid off Chase, I owed them 1,000 bucks. So pay them off smallest to tallest, basically. Then the third one is have three to six months worth of emergency fund in case, I don't know, you get downsized and you lose your job. Then I think steps four, five, and six happen simultaneously, which is uh, pay off the house early. 
um, save 15% toward retirement, and save for the kids' college. I may have the order jumbled, but it doesn't matter because they happen yeah. simultaneously. And then number seven is like, give like crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you have so much money and you have no debt and you, can, right. just, you can do all sorts of terrible acts. and Yeah. 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 So save, invest, and give like no one else. It right. says, so do you have a um, thought on the whole Dave Ramsey plan? Because, yeah. I mean, I think everybody's got an opinion on the whole Dave Ramsey plan. A hundred percent. And you know what? What works for me might not work for you. Might not work for Jan down the street. Like, every, I think everybody has to come up with their own plan. But I think Dave does a really, really nice job of laying out things. that, And there's there's no gray area. It's, it's black and white. This is the way you do it. Then you move to the next step. And you don't move to the next step until you take care of this step. I think that's great. And I think some people absolutely need that. I start... I, I've read his books. I think they're fantastic. I, I've listened to his radio shows, television broadcasts. Like he, he just does the same thing over and over again, and he makes a ton of money doing it. He's a very smart man. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I looked him up, and I think his net worth last time I looked him up is $55 million, if you can trust the Internet. Holy smokes. Of course, now, like Abraham Lincoln said, the problem with internet quotations is their lack of reliability. Sure, sure. But those those first three steps, I think that's... I couldn't agree with those. I mean, number one, save $1,000. Number two, pay off your debts. Again, that's going to be debts that you're assuming aren't going to be something that um, you can turn into dollars. So like if you're taking on a little bit of debt to start your own business, that's going to end up you know, becoming the, the source of income for your family or an additional source of income, I, I'm all right with that. I think he's talking a lot of times about like payday loan debt and credit card debt, very high interest um, debt that is really just suffocating you because you're paying so much interest every single month. I believe that's the type of debt that Dave is really talking about, but he has to, again, there's no gray area, so he has to encompass all that debt together. I don't think it's the end of the world to have a car loan if you have, I mean, what's the problem of borrowing money? The last car that we bought, I believe, is 0% financing, so why am I going to give somebody $12,000 for my car when I can just make payments and hold on to my $12,000 and I know exactly where that is in case there's some sort of emergency and I make them a $200 payment every month. They're not making any money off of me. If you have a 1.9% financing on a car, you know, I'm, I'm talking very, very small amounts of interest that you're going to be paying versus um, driving a 1998 Mustang with 24% interest and your payment's like 850 bucks and this car is, you know, worth three grand. So there's a lot of different things. So I, I really liked step two. Again, um, step three is save three to six months. I, I really think people should, oh, sure. should be doing yeah, that. Because what, if, what if you, uh, you have the best boss in the world and then your boss retires and then they bring in a new boss who's nothing like the old boss. You know, what if the new boss is a nightmare? Maybe you're going to want that three to six months so that you can vacate the premises. Yeah, look at our contracts at the school that we teach at. They just put a clause in this year. It used to be a 12-month contract, and your contract was renewed, I believe, every April or May. And then we were guaranteed that amount of money as long as we followed the protocol with the archdiocese, so on and so forth. And now they have something in there that they can basically void out our contract with a 30-day notice. Mm. So what happens if... We lose our jobs. We're gonna we're gonna want three to six months because chances are, if we lose our jobs, that we only they only hire teachers one time a year, and it's right around like the spring right. break time, and it, it's a very small window. So we would have to figure out something else to do for income, 
And yeah, having that three to six months would definitely give you some time to go through and, and really find the, the right opportunities for you. Oh, for sure, for sure. You know, one little nugget I heard on Dave, which I just thought explained an awful lot, which is he has all seven baby steps and he's a brilliant entrepreneur and he's helped a lot of people be entrepreneurial and he's a brilliant real estate owner and he's helped a lot of people with that too. But he'll spend 85% of his time on the radio show addressing people who are on the first three baby steps. Mm -hmm. And from a marketing standpoint, where are most of his audience going to come from? Well, they're not going to come from that upper end of income. Sure. They're going to come from the people who probably got themselves into hot water with nine credit cards and a boat loan and a house loan and et cetera. So, you know, he's just going to be spending all of his time with that particular group of people. And, and this is definitely not a, a rip on Dave Ramsey or anything. I, I think Dave Ramsey's great. Mm -hmm. Absolutely great. Obviously extremely knowledgeable. So um, I, I'm just kind of a believer. Everybody should be familiar with Dave Ramsey. And if you're going to do something different than Dave Ramsey, that's fine. It's your life. Uh, I just would say you should know why. You should know why you think what you do. Yeah. I, the, like I said, the first three are no-brainers in my mind. Then we get into four through six. And four through six, remind me, it was... Uh, let's see. One is uh, pay off the house early. Mm -hmm. uh, another one is... Uh, Pay for the kids' college education. Okay. And then the last one is um, invest uh, at a rate of fit or put in 15% of what you're making toward retirement. Sure. So if I went in that order, I would be, I'm almost 40 years old and I would not be putting any money into my child's future education and I would not be putting any money into investing. And I think that would be extremely irresponsible for mm -hmm. me to be doing, for me to be 40 years old and not have a retirement account. Or my kid is going to college probably in like eight years and for me to not start saving for that would be again irresponsible well, he, he does want you to do those three all at the same time okay okay which then makes that, it that kind of makes more sense which makes it tough because originally his plan was gazelle intense just do one thing at a time yeah. but then he switches it up for steps four through six gotcha which then you're supposed to do a trifecta simultaneously yeah i'm a big fan of when you when you budget to put that investing in there whatever it be for children's education for roth ira 401k whatever it is you put that and you add it into your budget and then you take the leftover and i'm a huge fan of the 15-year mortgage if you do a 15-year mortgage i don't think you need to worry about painting your house off so early because you're not paying that giant amount of interest oh for sure and, and you're going to pay it off 15 years earlier than those 30-year folks so if you're on a 30-year mortgage I would refinance to a 15 oh, yeah. and then you don't have to worry about paying it off early. You just make your monthly payment. So that, that's where I would be. I, I don't, I even tell the, the kids in class, like the very first house that you buy, especially should be on a 15 and oh, then, yeah. and then we do the math on it and it shows them like how much the 30 year cost versus the 15 and they're all blown away. Like how come my parents are on a 30? I'm like, cause they never took my class. That's why. Well also too, just because, Oh, my monthly payment is like $400 a month higher and Hey, I'd rather spend that $400 a month on pizza and beer or whatever, you know. So I, I think people stretch it out for 30 years. Sure. But the thing is, is you sign up for a 30-year mortgage and you're 25. I mean, for goodness sakes, you're 55. Wouldn't you have <laughs> that thing paid off? I mean, 
you might as well, I mean, from a teenage standpoint, that's being 350 years old. Yeah. That's really, really old. Yeah. And what are the chances that you're going to live in that house all the way till you're right. 55? So you're just going to pay all the interest up front for the first few years. Then you're going to move, start another 30-year mortgage. I've watched my friends do it. Mm-hmm. They'll live in a house for six years. Then they want a different house because they get married. And then they pay all that interest for another five years. Then they start a family. They have kids. Then they want their dream house and they start over again. Well, they're on their third house. They should have basically their house paid off by now. Oh, for sure. And they're starting from scratch. Well, and and I can hear people objecting, but the whole point of our podcast is personal finance. We want people to come out ahead and, you know, profit over loss and income over expense and uh, savings over debt. But I can hear some people out there objecting and saying, you know, if I had a hundred year mortgage, I would take it. But my objection to that is just getting back to the bad boss scenario. I had a good boss, that boss left, now I've got a boss that's making my life awful. How much do I really want to worry that, oh, if I lose my job, uh, now I can't pay my mortgage, and so, hmm, you know, now what am I gonna do? You know, your house, which you thought was an asset, becomes a liability. For sure. It's taking money out of your pocket every month with no end in sight. Uh, I mean, when do you get to sleep easy in this 100-year mortgage scenario that some people seem to sign up for, you know, by switching mortgages all the time? Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. So that's just kind of my thought. But as long as we're on the subject of debt, there's just a lot of people to be cool with debt. You know, they're they're okay with debt. Um, All they worry about is just the money coming in every month and not necessarily so much about the money going out. What are your thoughts on the people who are just... Very low-key, very cool with that. Um, I mean, if that's your thing, I guess that's your thing. I don't like it. I don't like paying interest. I, I think interest is just the, like the thing that gets me. When I when I, I had bought a house on a 30-year mortgage, I'd actually purchased two houses on a 30-year mortgage, and, and I'd look at it, and it'd be a $1,000 payment. I'm paying $800 in interest and $200 in principal to pay down the debt. And I was like, like it just... It, made me want to throw up. I was like, oh my gosh, I lost, I wrote a thousand dollar check and I lost $800. Like, that's what I felt like. And so I, I don't like those type of things. Again, it's all, you can, you can get overboard on it. And we were actually, uh, my wife and I, we didn't have a whole lot of financial, um, background education and we got married and we bought a new car and we had a house and we had my, my wife got LASIK surgery because they were offering financing and then um, she had some hospital bills from a injury and I didn't really even realize it until my brother gave me the Dave Ramsey book and I started going through and then I started writing everything down and I was like holy smokes I'm paying this much I mean yeah, this amount interest. of money is well in interest but like this amount of money is already spent before I make a paycheck. I've right. already spent that money. So like if I've already spent $1,500 and I get a $2,000 paycheck, I'm like, I worked, I worked all that for right. $500. Like right. that, that was when I started looking at things a lot differently. And I was like, we need to take care of some of these things and get rid of it. So I've yeah. heard people say things like interest is the dumbest thing you can do. And I'm like, well, it's maybe not the dumbest thing that I can do. I mean, you could probably think of some things that are dumber, but it, does just hurt. It's just absolutely painful. One of, one of my favorite sayings is, if you're paying interest, you're making somebody else rich. Yes. If you're earning interest, you're becoming wealthy. Now, I think this one comes from Albert Einstein, you know, who uh, I just love this. Uh, he said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. 
The person who understands it collects it. The person who does not understand it pays it. <laughs> I was like, this Einstein guy is pretty smart. <laughs> pretty clever dude. Okay, now some people are okay with using opium. You know, OPM, other people's money. Sure. And uh, their attitude on opium is, well, okay, you might think it's addictive, but really, let's say I borrow 10000 at 4%, then I invested in the stock market, and I hope to make 20%, or I don't know, I'm going to buy a great stock, and I'm going to make 100%. So let's say, let's say I make 20. 20 minus the 4 that I'm paying in interest, 20 minus 4 is 16. Hey, I just used opium to make 16%. Am I a genius or what? What are your thoughts on opium? I've never met anybody that can promise 20% returns on, on investing, especially through the stock market. I don't, I don't know that person. Um, I think even if you asked Warren Buffett, probably the greatest investor of our time, he's not going to guarantee you that he can make 20% because there's going to be so many factors right. outside of his control. Right. You know, he might own a railroad, but he doesn't know what sort of regulations might come into the railroad industry. He doesn't know what type of infectious diseases might come and affect the railroad right. industry. He might not know like all sort of trade wars and embargoes and whatnot. And, um, so it, there's just so much unknown. Like it, that's, that seems rather risky to me. Here's what I'm hearing from you is you're basically against using opium in the investment world like this. Yes. Like in the stock market. I like it for investment properties because you can look at it and say like, yes, I can go. If I wanted to buy a duplex across the street and it costs $200,000. Well, if I wanted to buy that duplex, I would need $200,000. That's going to take me probably a lifetime to accumulate, yes. right? Well, if I only needed $160,000 and I could borrow, or sorry, if I only needed $40,000 for a down payment and I could borrow $160,000 and the numbers worked out to where the rent, I was making more money than I was spending, right? It goes back with our, um, with our budgeting rule from the beginning, then the difference there's cash flow and all of a sudden my investment is cash flowing right away while I'm continuing to um, pay down the debt and I'm continuing to write off the interest and the depreciation. So for real estate investing, I, I think using other people's money makes yeah. a whole lot of sense. Yeah, but in the stock market, I, I don't know, let's just list off a few of the uncertainties for people. Uh, the stock market might go up every year for eight years. And historically, since the 1890s, the stock market has risen, I believe, 9.5%. And I, I don't know if we have data from before the 1890s. Perhaps we do. But you can't count on that 9.5% because you could also enter a recession that goes for five years. And the stock market, well, let's just say it goes down by 50% over those five years. There, there's just no telling. Uh, they can have what they call black swan event, which is nobody could have seen that coming. Or there was probably one person who saw it coming, but then everybody ignored that person. Right. You know, like you think everything's going to be fine, and then boom, there's a war. Or there's a pandemic. Or there's a, I don't know, something. You know, just some black swan event. The stock market goes down 50% over the next five years. You just have the slow bleed out. I think that's the major objection to the opium sure. argument 100%. in the stock market. Yeah, look at, look at so many people who got burned from the housing crisis because they were out leveraged or over leveraged. They had borrowed so much money and then they couldn't handle six months of 
you know, no income or no, right. no sources of income or not be able to flip the properties that they own or not be able to get another construction loan to finish what they were working on. Like construction just halted and the whole economy yeah. just like froze up. And uh, I, I didn't see it coming. I guess the, what is the movie with Steve Carell? He saw uh, it coming. He was like, sure. yeah, yeah, that was, that was yeah. like the one guy that saw it. So yeah. I, Who made a bloody fortune doing it. For sure. I guess Peter Schiff, the investment guru of uh, Euro-Pacific Capital, also saw it coming. Wow. You know, so, um, and yeah, maybe we'll chit-chat about Peter Schiff a little bit later, but okay, so the four major expenses are taxes, housing, transportation, and food, and I just would kind of like to get your thoughts on maybe how we can save a little bit of money with each one. Mm, Do you want to start with taxes? Sure. Taxes? Hire a good accountant. That's my, that I spend, I don't know, I think it's like 200 bucks for my uh, tax prep fee. And it is the best 200 bucks that I spend for the entire year. Mm. Because a good CPA, especially if you have a small business, is going to know all of the different ins and outs of the tax code and all the different changes. I don't really have time or interest to go around and figure all of those out. Okay. Um, so I would rather spend my time and talents other places and let a professional that's really good at their job do their thing. Oh, for sure. And I mean, so, we live in a specialized economy. We don't all grow our own food, for example. Um, I guess some people do, but yeah. So yeah. get a good CPA. So okay. we get, I mean, we get different things that we can write off for our jobs. We get different things as educators that we can write off certain things. And, um, and it's, and some people say like, well, if you don't pay tax, you're like you're just cheating the tax system. No, you're just following the rules, follow the rules. that the tax system right. has set in place. It's built for you to follow all of the rules. Now, if you want to pay over, that's fine. The government will let you do that. That's they right. don't have a problem with that. But I want to follow the rules to a T, and I don't want to say take advantage of, but I just want to live within those rules. Oh, sure. No, I mean, they set up the rules. I can't remember what that's called. It, it might be tax avoidance where you get a good CPA and then they follow the law. It's mm-hmm. not like tax cheating. Right. We're not right. hiding money in the Caymans right. here. <laughs> right, right. It's, this is not the firm by John Grisham or whatever. <laughs> so, and then also too, I'm going to um, ask you your thoughts on say, for example, a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA or a 401k as a means of minimizing taxes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it all depends on, you know, what your employer has set up, what type of company match or employer match that they have for you. Um, we've had a speaker come in before that worked for John Deere, and he told me their company match, and I was like, oh my gosh, does everybody at the company like max that out and then retire when they're like forty five? And he said, actually, you'd be really surprised at the amount of people that don't take that company oh, match, sure. don't max it out. You know, they might put in their one percent or whatever, um, but he maxes it out. And he's like, it is absolutely unbelievable. So for him, the Roth IRA doesn't make sense because he gets so much money handed right. to him for free, which is an automatic 100% return in that in that 401k, and then he's going to pay taxes on it at the end, but it's that's a better system for him. I, I believe in the, the Roth IRA. I like the Roth IRA because I can also look at that and I don't have to worry about like how much money I'm going to be making to try to lower my taxable income later in life because that money's just tax-free. I don't have to pay any capital gains tax on that money and it was already taxed before I put it in. So I just know that all that money, and I just don't know a way that you can invest money like that and then not pay any taxes on all of the returns. Oh, for sure. Like it's it's for sure. unbelievable. And I'm so afraid that like some politician or somebody's going to come in and like rip it out of here because 
they think like, oh, all this money's getting made and nobody's paying any taxes on it. And Well, they did in Argentina in the 1990s. They nationalized everybody's 401k. That sort of thing does happen in various countries from time to time. Uh, I sure hope it doesn't happen here. That would be devastating to our that economy, for sure. That would not be so good. Yeah. So, But I, I think people need to know about the 401k, uh, how you basically get a tax break up front, but then not after the money grows for 30 years. And then the opposite, sort of, is the Roth IRA, where you don't get a tax break up front, but after the money's tripled or whatever, then you collect all that money without any sort of a taxation on it. So... And it's just kind of helpful to know, like you said, I mean, well, if my company is giving me the best match in the United States, like John Deere was doing for our friend, well, then maybe you want to just maximize the 401k and skip the IRA, you know, 100%. just whatever you're able to afford to do, essentially. Yeah. Somebody gave me, it was actually my brother gave me a book right when I graduated from college. It was called The Automatic Millionaire. It's a fantastic book. Um, it's a very easy, quick read. But it basically said, like, if you just put these things in place, you budget and um, you just put this money into a Roth IRA or whatever vehicle that you're, uh, depending on what you're investing on. But his idea was just like, okay, if you can put $6,000 into a Roth IRA every year, then the day that you start getting a paycheck, you start budgeting that month $500 out, like it's a car payment. Like it just automatically gets ripped out of my account and gets thrown into a Roth IRA. So I've been doing this since I was 24 years old and got my very first paycheck. I didn't really know what I was doing whatsoever. I didn't know what to put it in, um, but I just started throwing it into mutual funds and that was great, but I've just always done it. So I've never had that $500 a month. And here we are 16 years later, 15 years later, and I still don't know what it's like to have that $500 because it just gets put right yeah. over there. So I've lived with it. for I haven't needed it for 16 years. I don't think I'm going to need it for another 16, 20 years. So it, it was just a really easy, good um, philosophy. I always feel like it's harder to find money later to try to invest rather than just investing first, kind of like paying yourself first and then making all the other numbers work around what you prioritize. Oh, for sure. That's one. And then one of my uh, good friends... Um, he works for AT&T and he does his 401k. They have a really great match. They have a really good dividend stock as well. Um, but what he does is he started with his, whatever he did to max out the, um, the company match. So it was like, if he put in 3%, then the company would match 3%. But then every time he's got a raise and there's lots of different levels at, at AT&T. So he's gone through like five or six different positions. Every time he's gotten a raise, he adds 1% to that oh. 401k. Oh, that's so great. again, it's not like I might have got a $10,000 raise, but I'm going to put X amount in there, but I never have that extra money. Right. Right. So you don't miss it. So you don't miss it. And, and I just thought that was just a, a brilliant strategy. It is. And he's up to like 10% or something now that he's wow. putting in, then they're matching 3% or whatever the number. I mean, it's a, right. it's a very good number for him. But if you started trying to do that, then you couldn't do it maybe. But in his case, it was so smart. It actually kind of reminds me of what somebody said about raises that saved the entire raise. You know, if your boss gives you a 2% raise or a 5% raise, just don't readjust your budget. Mm -hmm. Just whatever comes in that's extra, then that just immediately goes towards savings slash investing or debt repayment if necessary. Just put it toward that and then it will do nothing but increase your net worth. I think that's also good advice. Yeah, absolutely. And everything you said was something that is going to earn interest, that's right. right? That's going to grow. You didn't say like, 
go to the Bahamas. You didn't say go take a cruise. You didn't say buy a motorcycle. Like everything that you said was going to generate more money than basically turn into a liability. Yeah, spending money on pizza and soda or whatever. Right. Yeah. Okay, so then that's taxes. What about housing? How can a person save on housing? I mean, housing consumes what? 25% of somebody's check after taxes oftentimes? Yeah. Um, That's tough because the average, the median house price is just going through the roof. It's it's absolutely crazy. Um, But, you know, not everybody has to buy a house. Yep. I... I've always had a house. Um, I lived in an apartment in college. That was perfectly fine. One of my friends had a house, and he's just a single guy. He actually sold his house because he didn't want to live in a certain area and started looking for housing, got an apartment. He fell in love with the apartment. He travels two weeks out of the month. He doesn't have to worry about a pipe busting or somebody going by to check to make sure nobody broke in. He just absolutely loves. He doesn't want to come home on the weekends and mow the yard and, and paint the house and worry about an electrician coming over to fix something like it's just all kind of taken care of he lives in an apartment he absolutely loves it um i think that's going to be the best situation for some people especially if you got roommates i think that lowers your uh, expenses by far crazy i think it's great um but then just i don't know I, i i don't know that everybody needs it seems like every new house that I see that's thrown up is 3,500, 4,500 square feet. I don't know that everybody needs that big right. of a house. Right. Maybe they do. Maybe everybody has like eight kids. I'm not sure. But <laughs> um, yeah, I we don't need that much space. You know, we have a 1,400 square foot ranch house and there's four of us in there. It is absolutely plenty of room yeah, for us. Absolutely. So I would say making just good financial decisions when you go to buy your house and a lot of it, like I think if you buy it on a 15, you'll kind of yeah. find that sweet spot where, yeah, you can you can absolutely make it work. You know, and then that would maybe cause some actually good humility to happen for people, um, just which means an adjustment to reality, that if you buy something with a 15-year mortgage, then you are living within your means. What about this? What about buying your first house, maybe a little below your means, yes. on a 15-year mortgage, living in it for 15 years, paying it off, then going to buy your dream house, turning that into a rental, and have your renters pay the mortgage on your new house. There you go. That's just an idea. Yeah, it's a good idea. Do it while you're young, too, if you can, because you're just going to be tougher when you're younger. Um, Now, on the other hand, you're younger now than you're going to be five years from now, (laughs) so do it now. Even if you're 60, it's going to be tougher when you're 65. (laughs) Just a thought. Okay, so that's taxes and housing. Let's move on to transportation. How can a person save money on transportation? You know, I, I go back and forth on transportation, and I, I guess it all depends on what you use your car for. You know, if I use it to impress others, <laughs> I think a lot of people do that, um, and that's fine. I use my car to drive to school, to drive to work, and drive home, and then if there's practice, baseball practice, or golf practice, I drive it there and I drive it back. It's not our family vehicle. I'm not a car person. I don't need a fancy stereo system or wheels or tenting. I, I like cruise control, Like, I'm, but most cars come with cruise control. You know, Power windows are a big thing for me. I like that. Um, but I don't know. So I just don't see a whole lot of 
reason or point in going out and spending forty or fifty thousand mm. dollars on a car. And I I see people I know people that have that forty fifty thousand dollar car and they don't even make forty or fifty thousand dollars in a year. And I couldn't imagine spending something on a depreciating asset, something that is going to go down in value right. every single right. day that you own it. Right. Why you'd want to go out and spend that type of money again? I'm not a car person, so I don't know. But um, yeah, I think there are there are a lot of really good cars that are made out there that you can get somewhere between five to fifteen thousand dollars, and you can get even if you don't have fifteen thousand dollars, you get a very low interest rate if you had good credit. And I just don't think. But you're also talking to somebody. I've, through the month of July, I've gone through a quarter of a tank in my car. Like, right, I just right. don't drive my car that much, so it's not right. a big priority to me. So, Yeah, well, okay, at risk of offending a bunch of people, I guess I'm just going to say that uh, if, if you're going to tie up a ton of money in cars and things like that because you've got to have it, then that just seems semi-addictive to me. I, I, to me, that's like the person who can't not drink alcohol or smoke a cigarette for a month. Like, if you need, if you absolutely need, you know, to drink, and you can't, like, say, hold off for a month, I, I'm just thinking the car, maybe just a little bit of the same. Like, if you need, you absolutely need, like, what is it? Is this a status symbol? Is it impress, impress people you don't know? Well, I mean, if you start thinking creatively, like, is there a way you could fit that need into your life into a way that makes money maybe you love cars so much that you can look on auto trader and you can go find really good deals and buy oh, them sure. and then do two three four things to those cars to improve those values you get your car fixed mm. you're working on your car yeah, you improve a car then you sell it yeah that's creative that's great or yeah i mean there's a million different things that you could do you could do vinyl uh, my brother-in-law does uh uh, vinyl wraps for cars. He lo he's a huge car guy, okay. right? But he's also a real estate agent, so he doesn't work in the car industry, but he started, he wraps his car in vinyl, and then he drove it around, and people started asking. Now he wraps, like, um, car clubs. He makes, like, vinyl decals for car clubs and Jeep clubs and stuff like that, and he gets his car fixed because he gets to work and ride around in these cool right. cars, right. but he doesn't have to pay for them, and he actually gets paid to go and do something that he really loves. So, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of different creative ways to do that. I think it's just... Yeah. Okay, let me ask this. If I have, uh, I don't know, a net worth of $5 million and I don't have any debt and I've got a million sitting there in cash, um, do you object to me getting whatever car I feel like getting? Yeah, go do whatever you want. You're fine. Go do what you want. Okay. That's, sure. That's kind of where I'm at on that subject too. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, the fourth category was food. How do we save on food? It's a major expense. It's one of the big four. Shop at Aldi's? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Aldi, for people who don't know, that's, you know, kind of the discount grocery store. I, I think it's maybe German-owned or something, yeah. but it's it's no frills. I mean, you walk inside, it's pleasant, but it's it's definitely, like, if you're used to, I don't know, the glamour and elegance, the extravagant decadence of Heidi, <laughs> then you were just not going to find that at Aldi. It's pretty stripped down. I love that you have to bring your own bags and... You have to put a quarter in the shopping cart to detach the shopping cart from the other ones. Right, but you get the quarter back. <laughs> you get the quarter back as long as you return your your cart back there. I just think it's hilarious, and I actually I absolutely love it. But 
I don't want to pay for granite countertops and I don't want to play for magnificent shelving or robots that right. bring your, I, I don't need any of that stuff. Like, right. I'll be want, my own robot and get my own groceries. Yep. And I'm Absolutely. perfectly capable of, you know, being better for the environment and bringing my own reusable bags anyway. Right. So right. why not do it that right. way? I love all these. I think that's great. Um, but really where I see people get in trouble on this one is uh, going out to restaurants all the time. So we kind of, we kind of have a rule at our house um, and we budget. I know I, I have a different, you should see all the colors on my budget. I'll show it to you sometime, but it's uh, I mean, we have a restaurants budget and it's, it's a hundred bucks and we spend a hundred bucks at restaurants. So we can go to one fancy restaurant and take all four. We can go to McDonald's five times as a family within the month. But generally we, we end up eating out probably about once a week and we go to some place that's really pretty reasonable like a Chipotle or a Five Guys or a pizza place or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where people get into a lot of trouble because you, you buy all these groceries and I mean it might cost me a dollar or two to eat lunch at home. Right. But if I go somewhere else I'm spending 10, 12, 15 bucks. Oh for but sure. That adds up and yeah I had a job one time that was downtown and it was a big thing to everybody in the office would always go out to lunch, always go out to lunch and we'd start, we started going out to eat like five times a week and I started looking at my credit card statement I was like I'm spending hundreds of dollars every week just eating lunch when I'm at right. work and I'm supposed to be making money like right. how am I spending money while I'm supposed to be at work hemorrhaging so, money yeah hemorrhaging money for sure so um, I love the two dollar salad bar at, at school but I don't think that's going to be a thing I don't think salad bars are going to be a thing for a little while but uh, yeah and definitely control control your spending with uh, with restaurants for sure okay yeah well just another just random thought on restaurants and and maybe people will disagree but i think if you go out in your case say once a week it's kind of a special treat or it's a family occasion it's it's a good thing now if we go out every single day i just think we suck all the life and energy and joy out of it for sure but i think once a week oh hey it's five guys and fries time you know it's, if you like that kind of thing yeah or it's just a convenience thing you know, it, the convenience thing when we're, when we have kids activities and baseball games and this, that, and it's just like, we're exhausted. We've been out in the heat for six hours playing baseball. Let's just pick up some dinner and take it home. You know, right. like that, that's right. yeah. nice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another major expense that I think cripples a lot of people is entertainment. Uh, thoughts on saving money on entertainment. Saving money on entertainment? Yeah, like maybe spending nothing or spending half or wherever you want to put this. Yeah, I guess it really just depends on how creative you want to, you really want to be. Like, I mean, you can do a lot of, there are tons of different things. There's also, you can go to Shine Mission Park, you can go hiking, you can go swimming at the beach, you can go on a nature trail, you can go mountain bike, and you can do all these things for free. Um, and you're going to get super fit. For sure. And you're going to be outdoors. You're going to be healthy. Um, I mean, there's tons of free things to do in Kansas City and basically any other metropolitan metropolitan area. Hop on the internet. Type yeah. in 500 free things to do in Kansas City or Des Moines or Chicago or wherever you live. Yeah. I mean, that's basically our entertainment, especially with uh, the COVID thing. Basically, we get three or four or five kids from the neighborhood and me and uh, my friend, who's my son's friend's dad, and we play a game of wiffle ball in the cul-de-sac for two or three hours with the kids till we just can't feel our joints anymore. And then we go sit on the deck and watch a movie and that 
that's a night out that doesn't cost any money, but we had a fantastic time. You know, I, I interviewed a friend who, uh, she just always had the best entertainment in her life. And, uh, you know, just as a side effect, I don't think she spent much of anything. She really was not thinking about money, but we just briefly talked about college. You know, people go to college, they get the fake ID, they go out to the bar. And, of course, alcohol in a bar is very, very expensive. And uh, then, you know, you gain... The, That's making somebody else rich. You make somebody else <laughs> rich and you gain the freshman 15 or the freshman 30 or whatever. And, uh, you know, you're in a stupor. And here she was developing what, I guess, I labeled skill set fun. Because she just, for whatever reason, was not all that interested in alcohol. I think she had the occasional glass of wine or whatever, but she went, she learned how to hike, camp, swing dance, scuba dive. Uh, you know, she played about eight different sports, dodgeball, ultimate frisbee, just every dog. On, so she played sports I've never heard of mm -hmm. before. And she just, all these different games that I've never heard of before as well. And just, this was kind of nonstop with her and just, you know, I mean, uh, you just you had to be a pretty impressive person just to be her friend. Not because she was a snob, but because she might get bored with you. Right. Because if your only skill set was, I don't know, standing in a corner with a plastic glass filled with warm beer, <laughs> you know, you're going to run out of things to say. You know, because instead she's going to say, hey, remember, uh, have you ever gone rock climbing or just whatever? And just, I don't know, she just had skill set fun. Yeah. Which, you know, again, a lot of that stuff is free. Yeah, and, and it all depends on your age, your interests, your hobbies, whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids. Like, when you have oh, kids, sure. you end up hanging out with other people that have kids so the kids can play and the adults right. can talk, you know? so Then you talk about the kids, which I'm sure is entertaining. <laughs> then you go home and you say, thank God for my kids. I'm glad I don't have Rufus over there or whatever, you know? So, right. yeah, just a little bit of entertainment from the kids, I guess. Uh, okay, uh, let's talk a little bit about investing. Uh, the three most common ways to invest, as far as I know, are real estate, in your own business of some kind, and then the stock market. Uh, we've actually already discussed two of those in the other podcast. So let's, let's do investing. What are your thoughts on investing in the stock market? I like it. I'm a big fan of it. I do it. Um, and... I won't go into it too far because I think you have another leading question that'll probably take me to the next. Oh, okay, time. okay. My leading question, I suppose, is uh, Warren Buffett and maybe about five other people have consistently beaten the index funds, like Vanguard index funds and other index funds. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, what are your thoughts on just I don't know your garden variety mutual fund managed by a person? Versus an index fund, like something that captures the entire stock market or the entire S&P 500, etc. What are your thoughts on um, actively managed by a human mutual fund versus a garden variety index fund? Yeah, so one of my, one of my favorite things, I actually heard this on a, an 810 radio commercial, uh, I don't know, it was sometime in the spring. Um, but it, it was said so very, very well, and I'll try to repeat it. I want to say it might have been like Fisher Investments advertisement, but he said, so let's just say you go to um, watch a horse race, right? You go to watch the Kentucky Derby. Now, do you want to have all of your investments into one of those horses? And the person on the other line says, well, no. I, I want to have some in all of the horses. And they said, well, that's really smart. That's basically a mutual fund. So one horse would be a stock. If you had interest in or an investment into all of the horses, that would be more of a mutual fund. 
okay? But I don't want just that. I want interest or investments into the actual track. Hmm. I want investments into the company that runs the concession stands. I want to, to own part of the company that lays the concrete of the parking lot. I want some of the electric company. I want some of this, some of the horse stables. And they went on and on and on. And I was like, yes, that is an index fund. We are encompassing everything within this index fund because they could all be profitable businesses within there. And we don't know which ones are going to win. We don't know if all 10 horses are going to fall flat on their side after right. taking one step and right. then your mutual right. fund. Like, yeah, maybe none of the horses win, <laughs> but we still have the electric company winning and the concession people winning. People are like, I'm depressed. And the medical field work winning. Yep. Yeah, everybody's winning. Maybe the horses didn't win that day, but then next week one of them will win. And you're invested in it. Exactly. Because you're in the index fund, which encompasses everything. And I thought that was just really, really well said. It just painted a really interesting and, and vivid picture in my mind. Well, and just to underscore for people, you could look this up, but Warren Buffett put his wife's money in index funds, which I think is fascinating. If you're <laughs> going to put your wife's money in index funds, then what does that tell us about Warren Buffett's ideas and philosophy? Maybe five people have consistently beaten the index fund, like given, say, a 15-year time frame or longer. Um, there's lots of people who beat the index fund under a 15-year time frame. But the problem is any number of those people who consistently did that for 15 years crashed and burned so hard in year 16 that they just never can recover. They can never, ever beat the index fund at that point. So... So anyway, that's why I'm a big fan of the index fund. It's done 9.5% since the 1890s. If we had data that went back further, I bet it would be very similar. I really do. And, and Tim, you have always told me, I don't try to beat the stock market. Right. I just want to tie the stock yeah, market. That's what the I don't says. want to lose to the stock market, right? That's I don't right. want the stock, to, stock market to return 9.5% and I get a 6% return. Yeah. That, that's losing, right. right? Somebody else is probably getting rich off of that. And I thought that was just actually really, really good advice because we're not trying to outsmart anybody. We're not trying to, to do stock picking, which is terribly inconsistent and difficult. Um, we're not trying to just pick the one stock that's going to be hot for three months and then pay long-term capital gains. We're not trying to do any of that stuff. We're just trying to tie the stock market. And the best the way that we can do that is through index, index funds. funds. Yeah. And Warren Buffett already said like, hey, when I pass away, I'm going to give a ton of money to charity. And I'm also going to put all my wife's money in uh, index fund that tracks the S&P 500, like, kind of like you said. Um, and I thought that was just... Oh, and then he did that other challenge where he... Uh, he basically challenged any hedge fund manager to invest a million dollars over like a two or three year period of time. And he said, I'm just going to put my million dollars in the S&P 500 index fund. You guys invest whatever you want. If you make more money than me, then I'll pay you a million bucks or two million bucks or whatever. Um, and there was only one person in the world or in the United States that took him on. And that guy ended up losing like $300,000. His million dollar investment went down Ooh. to like 700000 And then Warren Buffett's went to like $1.7 or $1.5 And then he donated all the proceeds to the Boys and Girls Club of Omaha or something like that. But it just goes to show you like I did nothing but put it in index funds, passive in, right. passively invested, just let it do its thing. This hedge fund manager was over there scrambling every day trying to find investments. Then something would lose, and then he'd try to double down on something else to get. And it was just it just kind of compounded. But 
the wrong way. This is one of those things in life, and it, it's just, I think for a lot of people, it, it just seems too good to be true, and that's what the problem is. But if you read a book like the, A Random Walk Down Wall Street, or I think uh, John Fogel, the founder of Vanguard, has got one on investing. I don't remember the title, but I read it. Uh, and then there was another one called The New Coffee House Investor. They all basically track the data, and the data is 9.5%. I think the reason it seems too good to be true for people is you are basically telling people, so what you're saying is, I don't have to do any thinking, I don't have to do any more reading, I don't have to do any more researching, and yet I'm going to beat all the people who are sweating and reading and researching. And I think it adds, like, quality of life is better for me, too, now that I'm not in individual stocks. Oh, because yeah. Because somebody in, like, 2009 or 2010 came up to me can you believe this stock market, man? This is crazy. It's killing me. And I'm like, right. oh, why is it killing you? He's like, I'm losing all this money. And I'm like, well, don't you think it's going to come back? And he's like, well, I don't know. It's like, well, if the stock market doesn't come back, then what's the difference of worrying about it? Like, right, you shouldn't right, worry right. about it. Like, there's no right. no big deal there. But if not, we just get to, I always say, like, we get to buy off the clearance rack right now. Like, stuff's 50% off, 40% off. You keep buying these index funds, and guess what's happened, right? We've had these massive gains over basically, like, the last nine or ten years. And we got to buy all those really cheap index funds back right. in 2009, 2010, even into 2011. Yeah. Um, and, and... That's awesome. Oh, even yeah. even this last little hiccup that we had, we got to buy when the the Dow was down around like eighteen thousand. No, I was right. like, great transaction right. comes through. I'm right. like, awesome. I got so many more. Uh, I got so much more bang for my buck that month. And then guess what? We're back at twenty six, twenty seven thousand. You know, two, three, four months later. So yeah. it, it's it just doesn't. I don't have to sit there and worry about like. What did the Under Armour CEO say this week that's going to cost me money? Oh, or sure. what did the the Papa John CEO do that's going to, you know, I don't have to worry you about any of that. You got a tweet at 4 a.m. after drinking a whole bottle of wine. And then, you know, the price of the stock just does a cordless bungee jump off the Sears Tower. Yeah, I don't what have to worry that? about any of that crap. That. No, yeah. I don't, yeah. Yeah, so. the heck with it. Okay, well, now all that being said, I'm going to admit that I own maybe two stocks. Uh, I guess I own a little bit of two more, and I've got maybe just 100 or $200 in those last two, so I don't even count those, but I own one share of Tesla and one share of Amazon, and I, I feel like an idiot because, you know, gosh, you know, I mean... Ugh. If you don't want your Amazon stock, I'll take it. Yeah, okay, you'll take that. <laughs> well, and it has shot way up since I bought it, but who really knows what's going to happen in the future, of course. I mean, this goes against my whole philosophy, but I've got, I don't know, 1% or 2% of, of my life invested in, in a few stocks. And so I guess I'm going to ask you this. Who are individual stocks actually for? Like, you, we give them this spiel. We say index funds. I'm 98% in index funds. Uh, but somebody goes, yeah, but I just want to be in stocks. Well, for who is that actually a good decision? Then that, then that should be your hobby. Just like the car guy wants to have you know, a third car that's his project car or whatever. That's his hobby. That's his entertainment or her entertainment, okay. whatever it is. Then, and then that's what you want to do with it? That's great. Should uh, they have 100% in stocks? Or I they don't, should have 10% in stocks? My philosophy is anything. It's kind of like if I'm going to go. My wife and I used to like um, going to Vegas. Right, and we went to Vegas like three or four times, and um, I'm not really much of a gambler. But what Me we either. did was we set aside money for gambling. We budgeted money every day for gambling, and then once that two hundred dollars was gone on a Friday, which 
probably like 9.30 a.m. or something like that, <laughs> then that was all the money that we spent on gambling that day, and that was our gambling budget. And so then we just went out and we saw some sites and did some different things and hiked a mountain, whatever, and then the next day we got another $200, whatever. So if you want to put $5,000 into Amazon because that's your hobby and uh-huh. you think it's cool, that's great. Just don't don't put your child's education right. fund into one particular stock probably right. or your retirement account. Like that shouldn't be the main source of your income in the future yeah. based off of those things. That's I don't think it's bad to own an individual stock. That's perfectly fine. Yeah, but. and I have to admit that I bought both of my stocks on the basis of close to zero research. I, I bought my stocks because the companies appealed to me on an emotional level and uh, that was stupid. Don't try this at home, kids. I still have one of my original, before I learned more about index funds and how much I like it, I had this one mutual fund that I have just a small amount of money in, but it's all um, dividend companies. So, well, every time I get every quarter, they send me this thing like, hey, we just reinvested X amount of money in there. And I'm like, well, that's really fun. I like seeing that stocks are paying me money and then it gets reinvested. Then I get more shares. Then I get another dividend. I get more shares and, and I reinvest it and so on and so forth. And so it just keeps making money. So right. I've never really had a reason to sell it. So right. it just kind of sits so there, kind of like your Amazon. That's fine. It'll be fine. Just let it ride. Yeah. Let it ride. I love dividend stocks because those checks never bounce. Yes. <laughs> those checks never bounce. Those are profits that the company's made, distributed to the shareholders, and those checks get reinvested through drip. And yep. Okay, now bounce. something that really confounds a lot of people is uh, when to sell. So, I don't know, you get into some index funds, maybe in your 20s, and then when do we sell them? Do we wait till five years, 10 years, 50 years? What do we do? I'm a long-term buy and hold type of investor, and my investments are going towards um, retirement accounts. So, basically, what's going to be dictated to me is when I'm allowed to take money out without getting a penalty. So, if I take money out, I think it's 59 and a half before 401k or or a Roth IRA, I'm going to get penalized for that. So, I'm not going to take that money out of those accounts Mm -hmm. until I don't have to pay penalties. But... Honestly, if at 59 and a half, I'm still working, I'm still happy, I'm still healthy, I have no reason to take that money out. It's going to continue to make money for me. I might change my investment strategy a little bit from being very aggressive in the stock. I might oh, pull sure. some of that out for of sure. index funds and maybe put it into some um, you know, bonds, bonds or, or money yeah. market, something you know, a little bit more liquid that would have less volatility um, just because I'd be a little closer to retirement at that point. But I mean, honestly... I. Never, 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 never is a sounds good time. awesome to me. But Honestly, just to have that security that if you ever needed it and it's there, that's that's great. I think so. I think so. Uh, you know, and, and yeah, I guess on the opposite end of things, I heard somebody refer to that as hoarding. And I don't think it is because the rest of the economy is making use of that money. You're investing in these companies. These companies are hiring people. They are making useful products for people and or providing services. Uh, so if it's just sitting there growing and if it's helping all those people have jobs and products and services, it's certainly not hoarding. 
So, and it gives you personal security, then, hey, it's just, it's great. Yeah. And maybe I mean, that's the, maybe that's the time you go to step number seven for Dave and you give like crazy because you right. have all this money and you don't necessarily need all this money to live on. That's right. And, hey, that maybe that's the yeah. time to write a yeah. $100,000 check to somebody that's, you're going to impact tons of people that way. That's right. I don't that's know. Right. Maybe it's to leave a family legacy down the road and pass it on through a trust. Some sort. I have one last question on investing. And it's this, do you do anything crazy or would you ever want to do anything crazy? I think this is crazy. Options, futures, day trading, any of those exotic things? No. Okay. <laughs> Flat you... out, no. And I think most people don't understand what those are. I actually know a little bit about them, not enough to ever make a decision about that. But that's the way a lot of people buy stocks a lot of times too, is they just say like, oh, well, did you see what, how much money this made last year? Well, that doesn't mean doesn't anything mean about anything. this year. If anything, it's probably going to tell you that it's going to go down this year. But do you know what that company does? And then I'll, right. I'll ask them these questions and they're like, well, no, but based on the name of the company, they have something to do with steel. Right. Research the company. Right. Because if you don't know what something is, how are you going to invest in it? Right. That's not a good logical way to invest your money. I don't know about you, but I work really hard for my money, and I don't want to throw it into something that I don't understand or know. Just because it has a cool name, like Gene Splice International. <laughs> yeah. We splice jeans. I think what a lot of people think of with investing is... It gives them that thrill of like gambling because you're putting yeah. in money, oh, hoping sure. that there's going to be more money, and then you can take that money out. Then you can roll your your winnings into the next one, to the next hand of blackjack or the next stock, and then you pull it out after it goes up, and this, that, and the other thing. And and if if investing feels like gambling, then you're doing it wrong. Wow, we are just sucking all the fun out of investing. We're buying and holding for 50 years. We're investing in uh, the most boring thing possible, index funds. Uh, we're hoping for a 9.5%, not a 5,000% return. Uh, you know, it sounds like your advice is uh, just, you know, eat your vegetables and wear a hair shirt. And it's easy. It's so easy, yeah. though. It's yeah. great. Yeah, that hair shirt's quite comfortable, and those vegetables <laughs> are going to make you strong. Okay, well, let's shift over to marriage because, uh, you know, marriage could be the biggest financial decision a lot of people ever make. Um, any advice for couples about to get married? Definitely need to talk about finances and have a financial plan of some sort. Just in planning the wedding alone, because weddings can be ridiculously expensive. Oh, I think sure. it's a really good idea just to write down, like, what are your must-haves and what what is your, like, non-negotiables? And then what are some things that you would like and so on and so forth, right? Um, but I think wedding planning and paying for that wedding is going to tell you a lot about how finances might be going in the future of your relationship. Right. I, de I definitely think it's something you... You have got to talk about, and I think the Catholic Church actually does a really good job with um, talking wedding about, prep. yeah, wedding prep and, you know, talking about financial plans and getting, uh, you have to have those conversations because you don't want to roll into a marriage and then you find out like, oh, my wife has $115,000 in student loan debt. She's got $65,000 in credit card debt. She's got this debt and you just married into it. So now you just took on at least half right. of that associated death or death. <laughs> it might be death, but debt, excuse me. Um, well, so. like speaking of debt. Uh, mortgage in French means the little death. Is that right? Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. Mort is death. Mortuary, mortician. Yeah. Uh -huh. yep. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, debt and death. 
Yeah, there's a connection for sure. <laughs> okay, so you definitely, it sounds like you need to know who you're getting married. And uh, I, my guess is that people really don't change all that much after they get married. I guess it depends if you read the Dave Ramsey book or not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be a starting point. Um, okay, so people could change. Yeah, and I, I, I really think it's just a, just like marriage is, or any relationship, it's just open communication and being mm-hmm. on the same page about everything. Uh, Dave Ramsey actually says that like once a week when you're when you're making these big changes in your life that you should sit down once a week and have a family meeting whether that's just you and your spouse or you your spouse and your kids and update everybody on everything that's going on with the finances so it's not one person's burden and it's not one person's you know crutch but you're working together like a team would okay. so that you can go towards a common goal and I thought that was actually a really good thing because my wife could honestly care less about any of that stuff, but if you don't give her any parameters, like, okay, she thinks she can spend like Jeff Bezos. Like, yeah, we're playing a game with no rules, no boundaries. We're playing basketball with no courts, or gosh, maybe it's not even basketball. Maybe it's uh, quilting. I, I mean, just there's no limits to anything. Is right. kind of what I'm hearing you say. And of course, people. Well, we need we need to know the parameters. Of Absolutely. Life. Okay. Absolutely. Well, that being said, uh, do you think both people need to strive to be equal partners in the arrangements? In other words, like you know a lot, does the other person have an obligation to catch up in every area, or how does this work? I think if they want, I think in some situations they will want to. In other situations, they don't. Like my wife, really, just she must be like the most trusting person in the world because she's just like, you like this stuff. You just, you just tell me how much that I can spend on what, and I give her different parameters and different categories and Next say, we have it. this, this, and this. And like and it still doesn't matter if we get $150 each month for spending. Like She will spend $150 every single month. Like, okay. No, nobody, no but question. Said but for me, I might only spend $25 in a month, and that's just... It might be how it works out. And that's just she'll, how it works she'll out. She'll get the limit. She'll hit the limit. And so, for sure. if, if the limit is higher, she'll hit that. She'll hit that. <laughs> and if the limit is lower, she'll hit that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. Because there... if we have to tighten our belts, you know, we had a, I don't know, a, let's say an insurance claim, and we had to cut some money from some different categories to save up for something that costed a little bit more, or we wanted to save up for a vacation or whatever, we tighten it. And as long as that parameter's in there, it's it, it works for us. Yeah. Um, it might not work for everybody, but it but it works for us. Oh, I, I know another couple, and and they're the exact same way. Uh, she manages the money, and you know, if you just hand him like a certain amount, then boom, there's no must, there's no complaints, there's yeah. nothing. Uh, I think she's tried to include him on the knowledge portion of things, like how much do we have, where's it going, all the rest of that. Uh, now the ironic thing is, and and I've seen this more than once with couples. Uh, he's actually really good on the investing piece, but on the income and the expense aspect, he, he honestly just has zero interest whatsoever. Two completely different worlds. Right, and then the reverse is true for her. Like, uh, they've got a net worth in investments that's well over a million bucks in the 401ks and, and the other things, and, and uh, she just never looks at that stuff. Ever. It's like one's micro, one's macro. Yeah, it's a, what a perfect much. marriage. It's and great. It, it works out just absolutely fine. Uh, any thoughts on prenuptial agreements? I can't say one way or the other because I didn't have anything really when I got married. So um, I don't know. I, yeah, I have no idea. Okay, okay. 
Let's briefly shift into raising kids because, uh, gosh, okay, we, we want kids to be responsible. We want kids to be good. Uh, the opposite is, um, I'll just, I'll be blunt, a spoiled brat, perhaps, you know, um, irresponsible, etc. maybe deceptive. How do we raise good kids? Uh, well, especially, I'm thinking in the United States, uh, this is going to make some people upset, but if you make more than $32,000 a year, you are in the 1%. Mm -hmm. worldwide so most people who live in the united states are probably in the one percent in terms of wealthy across the 7.7 .7 billion people on the globe so we're all going to have or a bunch of us are going to have kids so how do we raise responsible kids and not irresponsible kids i'll probably have a bunch of people not agree with me on this but that's okay i think that sports and activities teaches our kids so many lessons like I could sit there and talk about um, overcoming something that is outside of my control to my son and until I'm blue in the face and overcoming adversity and he just stare at me and go like when are you going to be done talking right but we can go out to three and two baseball field and it can be we can be tie game in the bottom of the sixth inning and the guy steals home and we tag him in front of the plate and the umpire calls him safe and that teaches us a lot about how we're going to write because that's something completely out of our control that's ad adverse uh, ugh, excuse me um, that's something that's just I don't know I think sports teaches us how to work as a team how to um, focus on on different things that are outside of what we can control different things about how to respect coaches and umpires and um, work ethic and just resilience and honesty honesty yeah 100 you know, percent. you've got good umpires and if you've got a good coach you know who just people who are going to think of cheating as a horrible thing right then, they're playing yeah, they're by they're, a set of rules like yeah. all sorts of i just think sports just teaches teaches so many different things to to our youth. Oh, I, look, I agree completely. My dad coached various sports for, gosh, I think from age 23 to 80. The last time he coached something, he was 80 years old. So I guess 57 years. Uh, you're, yeah, I, I totally believe that sports done right is going to transfer into a tremendous number of good life lessons. Look, look at the game of golf and how that's going to, to tell a person's character of whether they... When they go to write down their score, did I get four strokes or did I get five? Like a lot of times, nobody's going to question you. Nobody's going to say anything. Like, where's your honesty lie? Where is your right. integrity and where's your character built? And those, I mean, I don't know. I just see those in all types of different sports and activities, and I just think those are just a, being competitive. You know, just right. I mean, we could go on and on about Agreed. all the different things. I think people should play more sports, yeah. and I think they should play more board games and it doesn't have to be oh 100% talk about creative thinking and problem oh, yeah. solving like yeah. sitting down um, we played uh, Risk with my kids and the neighbor kids the other day and it was hilarious because they just like went at each other because oh, they're used sure. to like Fortnite like for I'm sure. going to go after that guy and I'm going to I'm going to destroy that guy, and that's my main objective. And then the smart people are, like, kind of hanging out around Australia, uh, getting extra cards and extra building up armies and fortifying. And then we talked about strategy. He goes, well, that was the dumbest thing that I could possibly <laughs> do, but I just wanted to take Zai out of the game. And so, How old is he? He's nine. Okay, so, well, he'll, he'll pick it up. 
but yeah, yeah it was absolutely. fun. It was fun to talk about those types of things. I think that stuff's great. I uh, have a theory with people, we could relate it to kids or anybody, it's a theory of seven jobs, and I think everybody should have these seven jobs for at least a half of a year uh, each, each job. Now, some of them could overlap, and here are the, but I'd also like to know if you have a theory of, like, certain jobs that everybody should have. Uh, you can I, go can I hear your list first? Sure, sure, sure. One of them is clean up after other people. Mm. You know, like whether you're the waiter or whether you're the janitor, um, meet the public. For example, if you're a teacher or if you're the person behind the counter in a store, physical labor, manual labor, like construction, field work, or maybe being the maid. Um, fourth one is leadership. Uh, I would say, hey, you're 15, take these eight-year-olds to the park. And uh, when they come back an hour later, those kids had better be happy. You took them to the park, and they need to come home happy. Uh, the next one is care for an animal. Uh, by the time you're done with the animal, it should still be alive. It should be healthy and thriving. Care for a plant. Slightly different than an animal, but, you know, we want that plant to look vibrant. And then finally, money management. You know, people, even at an early age, should probably be taught how to budget, etc. Um, that's my list of seven, and I gosh, I guess you can either subtract from some of those or just tell me what your what your list would be. I think those are awesome. I could never keep plants alive, so I, I don't think <laughs> I would be very good at that one. But uh, one thing that I might add to it is something entrepreneurial. And it doesn't have to be, I mean, it could be a lemonade stand for all you know, but just starting something that where you are the boss and you are in charge of something that you care about or passionate about or skilled in, I think that could be really cool. Oh, that's cool. brilliant. I so should have I added say that in a long time ago. Yeah. I always thought everybody should work in a restaurant at one point in time because I've been, I've been a busboy, I've been a cook, I've been a waiter, waitress, I've done, you know, limited part-time managing, like I've done a lot of different things in there and all those come with different responsibilities and different skills, but you learn a lot. And that kind of goes in, you said like working with the public I and did. how to treat people, but it's also picking up after other people. That's right. And, and uh, manual labor. And manual labor. I, I it's kind of wrapped into like three three or four of those categories Oh, for there. sure. I, I think, yeah, restaurant worker hits about three or four of those all simultaneously. And if they put you in charge of the shift, then boom, you also have leadership. And it's kind of entrepreneurial because... Yeah. Like, you get a tip based upon how good you are at your job. So, like, I could be a better waiter than you are, and I could be making more money even though we work the same hours in the same section at the same restaurant. That's right. So, I, well, the, I guess it's not really entrepreneurial, but it kind of feels like you have a little bit more control over how much you can make there. There's more autonomy, more creativity, and mm -hmm. I, I think maybe that was the thing that was missing from most of the ones that I chose, is that most of the ones that I chose such as clean up after the public, involve being a good follower. And, I, and I, I honestly don't think people can be a good leader unless they are also in some position or another a good follower. Um, I just don't. But, but I love what you said because it adds in that whole extra thing of uh, take the initiative, come up with your own thing, mm -hmm. be kind of creative. Yeah, absolutely. About okay, uh, let's see. Let's shift over into college. Uh, college is very expensive. So in your mind, what is the purpose of college? Also, how do we pay for college? And what should we major in? All right. We'll so, do this one at a time, maybe. What is the purpose of college? Purpose of college. 
probably to increase the amount of money that you can make over your lifetime okay based on statistics not to say that you have to go to college to right you could start your own lawn service like Ryan Lawn and Tree and that's be right. a millionaire and that's, that's great right. um, but I think it definitely increases your percentages it increases your percentages of different opportunities and career exploration of changing different careers um, I probably couldn't have gone from being a waiter to a teacher without any education. They're not giving away teaching licenses like that. So I needed some, even though I had to go back and take more classes and get more education, um, it was it was easier because I already had my college degree. So I think it offers you definitely some, uh, some uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Some Versatility. Yeah, versatility, thank you. Um, Although in that regard. Let's think about this. If you wanted to be a tutor, but you didn't want to go to college, you could probably make quite a good living as a tutor. Yeah, you could. But Absolutely. you wouldn't be a classroom teacher necessarily. Not a classroom teacher, right. Unless, I don't know, you invented something. Like probably not even a substitute teacher either, unless you're no. in the state of Oklahoma, then you just have to have like a high school degree, I believe, to be a substitute teacher. So. When I, I'm old enough to figure out that uh, what they require for substitute teachers depends upon how good the economy is. When there was 10% unemployment, they said, oh, you've got to have a bachelor's degree to be a substitute teacher at a public school. When there was 3% unemployment, then they said, you know, if you've been in college for about 30 to 60 credit hours, you know, you can make a good substitute teacher. It just, you know, what's the labor market look like? That's kind of funny. Has kind of controlled that yeah. to a certain degree. Uh, okay, let's, let's talk briefly about the... FIRE movement. Uh, FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. There is a similar movement related called FI, which is just financial independence for the people who maybe want to keep working, but they want to be financially free. Um, it's really grown in popularity in like the last decade or two. Uh, there's just dozens of books and podcasts. Um, should I tell you the three rules before I ask you questions sure. about it? Sure, go ahead. Uh, save 70% of your income. Invest in nothing but index funds and don't live in a super expensive city like Los Angeles. If you can handle all that, chances are you might have a million in cash by your mid-30s if you start right out of college. So save 70%, invest in index funds, don't live in an outrageously expensive city like Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, so what, do you have an opinion on FI or FIRE? I think it's really cool. Um, I don't know that, I don't know that it's for everybody. And I think that, I mean, you have to be in hook, line and sinker. You can't be like wishy-washy on it. Right. It's got to be something that like you're super passionate about. And I think it's, it's almost for somebody who I think has like bigger goals in their life that they mm. want to accomplish super early like they might have a goal for when they're in their 30s or when they're in their early 40s that this allows them to like traveling the world or buying an rv and you know going around living all around the united states or or starting their own business or just i, I don't know spending an insane amount of time with their children walking them to being able to walk them to school every day and being able to you know go on summer vacations with, i don't know that it just seems like there's a there's a bigger picture for these type of people they're not just like cheap people and right. they're not just people who don't want to spend any money um, and I don't even know that that the people are so interested in like 
wanting to be a multimillionaire. I just think it's they want to they want the financial independence, the financial independence, so that they can do whatever that they possibly want to oh, do, for sure. and they don't have to wait till they're sixty five years old and Medicare kicks in and they can finally get Social Security and this, that, and the other thing, and um, they want to do it while they can still live and yeah. do it with the people that they love and do it with their families and so on. So, and I think it's really, really cool. Um, that's not my financial plan, but by the time I heard about that, I was already probably, uh, probably too old. I shouldn't say I was too old to do it, but I kind of felt like, I was like, eh, I feel like it's under control. So do you, do you think that you could, uh, save 70%? No. Okay. I don't think I could. I mean, you're a high school teacher and your wife, she's the teacher. Mm -hmm. as, is that right? Yep, that's right. Okay. And, you know, I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, you've done kind of well in the real estate industry, but yep. it's, but you definitely have the long-term plan. Long-term plan, for sure. In, in motion and you love your job and things yeah. like that. My son plays competitive baseball and we love, we love doing that and we like traveling over the summers and we, you know, we have some just things that, that probably would not fit into that lifestyle of saving 70%. No. It's it's pretty tough. Uh, gosh, that would be really it'd be really hard. I I'm envious of those people that like are so disciplined. Oh my gosh, yes, right. just and it's I unbelievable. Guess creative in certain respects. We have a mutual friend. I interviewed him. Uh, he sold his car and they biked to work for two years. He lived eight miles away, one way, um, and got him in shape for an Ironman. So then he did an Ironman. But hey, no car. He kind of did the math from that and figured that if he always had one car less than he would otherwise have, that that would save him $1.7 million over the course of his life. Uh, you know, he could take that, invest it, get $1.7 million. Okay, a few questions about the pitfalls, I guess, or maybe the macro economy. So there are people out there who say, oh, you know, personal finance, budgeting, investing, all that's great. But... Do I need to worry about boom times in the larger economy versus, say, recessions? Do I have to care about that? I don't think so, unless it involves the industry that you are currently working in significantly. Um, yeah, like if, if this whole thing took all of um, school online, that, that might be something that might have to, I might have to look into getting a new job at some point. You know what I'm saying? It might right. eliminate my job of being an in-classroom teacher. Um, but I, I, but I don't think if, if it does not affect your industry that you are currently in, I don't, I don't think you really need to worry about it. We don't have to worry about recessions or boom times so much. No, I don't think so. Uh, a very old man who I think is very wise and who did very well with money, uh, never made more than $30,000 a year when he was working. He's 85 now. But net worth is approaching, I think, maybe about $3 million. Uh, he just said that he just never, ever paid any attention to boom times or recessions in the sense of adjusting his own lifestyle. Um, just in terms of making money and spending money, uh, he just always practiced good personal finance the whole way. And, and, and everybody's situation is completely different. Completely. Yes. If you're in the construction industry and then 2008 happened, like it's going to change your lifestyle whether you oh, like it sure. or not. You know, sure. if you're a small business owner, especially in the construction work world, I mean that that changes a lot of things really fast. Right. But, right. So I, I don't want to say it's like never pay attention never pay to it or attention. anything, but yeah, it's very specific to could be specific to industry. You'll you'll know. You won't have to read about it. You'll know. Right. If I'm in the horse and buggy industry and then Henry Ford moves into town, <laughs> I might have to pay attention. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
Uh, you know, some people, this is maybe a slightly crazy question, just wish we were on the gold standard instead of paper currency. Uh, and, you know, paper money is backed by nothing, really. Um, do you think in terms of personal finance that things like the gold standard matter? I mean, do I need to be at home fretting every night that we've been on, off the gold standard since 1971? Well, nobody ever asked me, so I yeah no I don't I don't really I don't worry about it at okay. all. And I and even if I was worried about it, again, it would be one of those things. I'm just worrying for why. Like I okay. have no control over it, and nobody's calling me to ask my opinion. So yeah, I don't worry about any of that stuff. Okay, so I I guess what I'm getting at with these last two questions, I'll just sum it up with this question is. Just macroeconomic questions, like, I don't know, trade deals with another country or what this industry is doing versus that industry. Just in terms of my own personal finance, I guess I'm hearing you say most of the time it's just not a concern. No. If I want to follow that stuff, like, hey, what's the price of wheat doing in Argentina? I can do that. But, I mean, if I find that interesting, then I, I, can, I can go for it. Or just, you know, what's this shoe company doing in Mongolia? Fine. But, but in terms of my own personal finance, that's just a big epic distraction. I think so. And that's, you know, that's why we invest in index funds. And we don't have to worry about what Nike's doing in Mongolia. And we don't have to worry about what... You know, Wheaties is going, who they're going to put on their next, uh, what, is Patrick Mahomes going to be on the Wheaties box? Is it Michael Jordan? What, whoever? We don't have to worry about any of that stuff because we own just a little bit of all of it. Okay, okay. Uh, just a few hypotheticals and then I think we'll probably wrap this up. Uh, if you could go back to childhood and uh, do things over again, what would be the very first job you would take? Very first job that I would take? Yeah. And I'm a little kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like somewhere under the age of 10. My first job, I was five. I shoveled the neighbor's walk for 50 cents. Uh, it was a great job. He was 95, I was five. Yeah, I think I would have, uh, I think I would have started my own uh, lawn mowing company. Yes. I've seen so many different high school kids just by starting out in their own little neighborhoods and they get 10 yards, 15 yards, and they pick up one, two, three yards a year and all of a sudden they're in college and driving back and they don't have to work for anybody they work for themselves they you know it's just oh, they, make, sure. they make a ton of money and it's recurring money like the business the grass keeps on growing the following year and, and they get hired for snow shoveling and fertilizing and mulching and trimming and all this different type of stuff and it and it's really good money oh, with a really sure. good return and yeah you know the thing that blows my mind about the whole lawn mowing thing because i've seen the same thing i mean kids who started off with zero lawns and then they put an ad on a next door app and for their neighborhood and then they had 10 overnight and then two years later they had 42 and it turned into all these other jobs i feel like i've seen about three kids do that mm -hmm. um i just thought sooner or later we're gonna run out of lawns and Apparently, nobody ever runs out of lawns. It's yeah, like it's this crazy. is an infinite business. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just like any, anybody can enter into it, and anybody can make money at it, and it doesn't matter how many people enter this business. They just keep making I, I know sooner or later the math and that doesn't work, that it turns into a Charles Ponzi scheme, but I, I don't know. I'm just pretty amazed. It just seems like, wow, if, if these kids are ambitious, they can really, really make some green 100%. with this. So, okay, so lots. That was a good point. Would you do anything different with college then? If you could go back somehow. 
uh, I probably would have paid attention a little bit more. Um, that would have been good. But financially, I mean, college was still, I went to school in, what, 99 to 2004. Um, I went to community college, which was super cheap. I got an athletic scholarship, so it was free. Um, so that was two years. That was that was great. And then when I went to K-State, it was only like 2500 bucks a year or something like that. So it was super manageable. That's probably like the fee for one credit hour now or something. I don't know. But um, and, and I... I was lucky enough to have um, my dad who owned his own business and he was willing to pay for at least half the education since I got a scholarship for half of it. He paid for the second half of it um, and he got to talk an entrepreneurial like he got a, a certain amount of money that he could use on education that was tax free so his company or, or him personally didn't have to pay. He paid tax free dollars to pay for my education and my brother's education and um, that worked out really well for me so yeah. Super lucky, but obviously I didn't go to like Notre Dame where it cost $60,000 a year. Um, but if I were going to go there, I would hopefully have somebody to pay for it or a scholarship <laughs> to pay for it or something because I would not want to walk out of there with $240,000 in debt. That would be completely overwhelming for me. This is my fault, but I should have asked you this when we were talking about college. Uh, so um, I'll just ask this question. What is a reasonable amount of college debt to walk off with? And let's also bring up the subject of what our major probably should be walking out of college. You know, like if I walk out with no debt and I've got such and such major versus I walk out with $200,000 debt and I've got this other major... Yeah. How do I balance debt versus major? Yeah, if you're yes. walking out of there with $200,000 in debt, like somebody needs to be calling you doctor most likely. Okay. That's what I think. It's going to give you a bigger shovel to be able to handle that, right? Okay. Uh, my neighbor recently just went back and, I don't know, probably took out somewhere between $100,000 and $150,000 in loans, and, but he's a dentist. He, his check is going to look a lot different than a high school teacher's check, right? Right. So he's allowed to, to do that. I shouldn't say allowed, like... It's not a terrible investment for him when you're right, right, when you're right. going to be making so much more money. Um, my general rule is, and I think just coming out debt free is really hard. It's really challenging. You got to really work your tail off to do that. You got to hunt for every scholarship. You got to get good grades. You got to keep those scholarships. You got to find different ways to save on housing or transportation or whatnot, like we talked about. Yeah, I think you got to work every pedal on the organ. 100%. You have to say to yourself, I might be okay with community college. I might be okay with large state university. Um, you, you just, I might have to be okay with working 40 hours a week during the summer. Yeah. I, you just have to be willing to do anything and everything. I mean, that being said, I did see an article in the Washington Post in 2014 that said 37% of all college students do graduate without debt. That's really good. So that's not bad. That's, that's over, really good. That's over a third. I wonder what percentage of those just have their parents pay for it, though. Good point. Because that, that would good be point. a different statistic. But anyway. Um, uh, one of the other things that I, I like to tell people, and this is just something that I made up because I think it's a, it's something that's actually, like, it gives a number that you can take on a little bit of debt to get that college degree. I think I'm all right with that, but whatever your starting salary should be. So if you're going to walk out of there with an accounting uh, degree and you're going to make $50,000 a year, I think the acceptable amount of debt to take on would be $25,000. So half of whatever your initial starting salary would be, because I think that's going to be a manageable number that you can attack really easily and get rid of in a very short amount of time. Okay. 
Okay. That's, that's what I think. I, I feel like that might answer my second question is, do I need to take the major into account? I have a list of 162 majors ranked in order of what they pay. And I think also factored in is how common are these jobs? Like how easy it, is it to get a job in this thing? Uh, so I think the top 20 or 25 of them were all science, technology, engineering, mathematics, things along those lines. Uh, the very bottom one was theater. That was number 162. So uh, what are your thoughts on college majors? Maybe pick up a minor in something that gives you a little versatility. That okay. might be to maybe get a minor in business or something that you're also interested in that might just... Chemistry. So if I'm a theater major, maybe I also need a degree in chemistry because maybe that one's in the top 10. Yeah, that, that would be something good to gotcha. fall back on, just in gotcha. case. Just in case. <laughs> just in case. You can be the greatest lesbian chemist, you know, whoever graced the stage. That's right. Or you could do the... Go get one of those top 10 degrees, do the fire method, and then when you're 35 years old, you can do oh. all the theater that you want. You don't have to worry about money ever. Again. Yeah, do community theater for 12 years, hone your skills, and then by the time you're 35, you could be Laurence Olivier or just, I don't know, whoever the greatest actor of the 20th century or 21st century. There you go. 19th century was Edwin Booth, believe it or not. John Wilkes Booth's older brother. No, really? No, no seriously. How do you know this stuff? <laughs> I just, I read, I read a whole bunch. Uh, so yeah, we could talk about John Wilkes Booth. If it weren't for him, everybody would know Edwin Booth's name because he would have been the Charlie Chaplin style figure where, hey, that was like well over a hundred years ago, but this guy is really talented and... Did his brother ruin his career? Oh, for sure. Okay. Well, he didn't ruin his career. The career kept going, but he eclipsed his name. Yeah. He just destroyed his name because you're a presidential assassin, so that's going to kind of put the damper on the acting. It's not, not a good look. Legacy. Yeah. It was too bad. Uh, okay. Uh, two more questions. Well, maybe three. Uh, what is something I should have asked that I failed to ask? Hmm. What about ways that you can track your finances mm, that, that yeah. might have been something so yeah i use a, ways. yeah i use a, a google sheet like it's very very simple but i have all sorts of different formulas so it calculates i go in at the end of the month or middle of the month and i just go through the credit card report um, and i make sure that everything's accounted for i think that's another really good uh financial tip as well because i can't tell you probably Every other month, there is some sort of charge on there that is not legitimate, and I have to call somebody, tell the credit card company to cancel it, whatever. It's, it's not a difficult process, but I mean, we're talking about like some sort of subscription that you canceled the month before. Guess what? They charge you another $34.99 right. again. It was some sort of billing mistake. You have the record. You get your money back, but it, it's a little technical on that type of stuff. Um, I think that's really good advice, and um, you can use Mint through your phone so you can connect your credit cards. That's super easy and super cheap. There's a lot of different methods to, to go about for uh, um, for budgeting, but yeah, just whatever whatever system okay. you find okay. and you think is the best. Well, Some people use pad and paper still, and that's, and that's just what they like to do, and that's what they they're do. used to, and they like their calculator. And... Honestly, I do. I use a simple sheet of paper for, I do two things. I do like a budgeting software thing, like Quicken. Uh, other people I know use Mint. Uh, and that's really easy and simple. Gosh, uh, I use paper and pencil for the things that I spend money on more than once per month. 
things like groceries and gasoline because I can just simply subtract and it mm-hmm. all fits on one sheet of paper. And the minute I spend, I can subtract. Yeah, you don't but, have to but kids, it, kids sure. can find an app. Adults can find an app, just whatever they want to do. There's a show called Till Debt Do Us Part. She puts the money in little jars for people. This is the entertainment. This is the gas. And, you know, if you take $20 out of entertainment, well, you can see it. It just vanished from the jar. So, I mean, it's a very simple system. A third grader could understand it. Right. So That's uh, like Dave Ramsey's envelope system. Yeah. Very yeah. similar. Yeah, there's really only two systems, and then there's the modern upgrade, which is digital. But the two systems are pencil and paper, and then the digital upgrade is probably a spreadsheet. Uh, and then there's the buckets. You know, put it in an envelope or a jar or a bucket. That's I think that's it. There's just two systems. Mm-hmm. So, uh, second to last question: Is there a book or a podcast that you would strongly recommend, or more than one? Definitely, I I think especially if you're just starting out with it, the the Total Money Makeover, you know, the Baby Steps and Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey are a must. I think that's Finance 101. He breaks it down so easily, and he does a really good job. I mean, he sold millions of copies of those books. And then the next one to look at is uh, the Robert Kiyosaki books. Um, I can't remember. It's Rich Dad, Poor Rich Dad. Dad, Poor Dad. And then I think it's the Cash Flow Quadrants. Right. Um, those, He's those up are, to about 20 books at this point. And I consider that like Finance 500. So if you're going along, you know, one's going to be the survey intro course and the other one gets gets to you to like building wealth. One's saving you from paying a bunch of interest and the other's all about building wealth. And I think a combination of both of those together is a, is a sweet spot. Okay. Okay. Uh, last question. I guess my favorite question. So you're 100 years old. And you're sitting on the porch with your wife, and your kids are nearby, your grandkids are nearby, and somebody comes up to you and says, Grandpa, what is the absolute best reason to be intelligent when it comes to personal finance? Because money is a really good thing to have when you need it. I know that's really simple, but somebody told me that one time, Uh and... It's really, really true. When something bad happens or some major life occurrence happens and you have X amount of money sitting in your savings account because you're very diligent about saving and not paying high interest and not taking out a ton of money in loans, um, it's a really good thing to have that money there when something dramatic happens in your life. It makes things just a little bit easier. It's maybe just the safety net so that we don't hit the cement. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you, Mike. This was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, thanks, Tim. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Seemingly Ordinary. The next episode will be on a Tuesday or a Friday.